listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, it's Valentine's Day, which means that it is time for us to do our second brand breakdown of the year. It makes total sense to do that on a Valentine's Day. I don't know why. We're going to share the love. Going to share the love. We're going to share the love. We introduced this brand breakdown concept to start the year. And so far, it's been really well received. We've had really good feedback on everybody that we've asked about it. So we're going to do it again. We used our same detailed methodology to select this this firm as we have in the past. You forgot to put the adjective, a couple of adjectives in front of that methodology. High tech, sophisticated, refined. Completely, completely. Object def- yeah, completely defensible and objective, completely organized, structured. We, we took 2.5 million data points and came back to... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fair methodology. <laughs> well, the goal is to make it random, and so it's definitely random. And and just, just a reminder for listeners, the methodology is super simple. We went to Clutch and we picked a segment. In this case, I think we picked a business services consulting segment and just randomly picked a company based on a size. So last time we did companies between 50 and 250 employees. This time we did companies between 50 and 1,000 employees. And we ended up with a firm called Clarkston Consulting, which I believe is headquartered in North Carolina, if I recall correctly. Yes, in North Carolina. Break down the go-to-market playbook, I guess, from the outside in of Clarkston Consulting today. For a reminder for listeners, we built a six-point methodology, or I should say Jeff really built a six-point methodology on how we're doing this. And the goal is not necessarily to tear down a firm's brand or criticize, but to offer our thoughts on what they're doing well and where they might be able to improve so that listeners can use it to inform their own approaches to brand building and get their go-to-market strategies. The six points of the model are positioning, point of view, intellectual capital, and solutions architecture, personality, so firm personality, brand identity, and employer brand. So those are the six points of the brand breakdown assessment. So, and we'll start at the top, positioning. And the answer is? Survey said. I had mixed feelings about this one. Yeah, me too. It's clear that the firm is positioned as a business consulting firm across a wide array of services. And I thought that its positioning and and value statement was somewhat generic, with the exception that it narrowed in on some key industries and I think worked those industries well. But in terms of a unique positioning in the market, I felt like this was, okay, another consulting firm. Yeah, that was my takeaway too on the positioning. I thought the positioning was really clear. I mean, you knew right away who they serve, to your point. And I'll just read for listeners the headline on the homepage. The headline is actually consulting services, which is a little bit odd, but then the, the, the line underneath it is, our consultants solve problems for the world's leading life sciences, consumer products, and retail companies. And they've got big, bold buttons that let you go down each one of those those industry verticals. So right out of the gate, you know the types of companies they deal with, but you don't really have a good sense of what the central benefit is. So uh, you always talk about there being really three central benefits that a firm can own. And because of the the breadth of solution design here, it's really actually quite hard to determine what the central benefit of hiring this firm would be. 
because there's probably multiple benefits that they're going after with different practices. And then also because the solution sets are so wide, it's actually pretty hard to discern from the outside looking in who the ideal client might be because they clearly have to serve multiple different buyers within those companies in order to sell in the, the, the variety of services they sell. So yeah, I, I guess I agree with you. I really like how specific they are, like there are these three industries. So you, you've got binding right away and you kind of know, should you be here or not? If you're not in one of those three industry categories, you know, this is probably not the firm for you. And I think that's really good, but I was left wanting more, I guess, because I wish I knew what's the central brand benefit. And I wish I often, as I drilled down into it, I would hear the phrase, things like our consultants solve problems or help clients in this sector with their most pressing challenges, but they never really tell you what those challenges are or what those those master problems are. I guess I'm wanting a little bit more in terms of, well, okay, what's your point of view on the most important things that life sciences companies should be thinking about right now or consumer products companies should be thinking about right now? So it just feels a little reactive to me, I guess, is the language I'm looking for, searching for. So I didn't get that impression at all. Really? Yeah, actually, I got quite the contrary reaction. This brand, this website in particular, I think is an excellent example of cascading messaging. While their overarching value proposition, I thought was generic and somewhat weak, when you cascade down into the industries, they do a really good job I think, of articulating the challenges within those industries. I think if you spend a, a little time on those industry tabs, you might see what I'm talking about. But each industry has an overarching trends report that is relatively current, which I think is really cool. It shows that the firm is, is on top of each one of those industries. I read those industry reports for each one of the industries, they were somewhat generic, but there was a clear effort to kind of start at the top, uh, the overarching issues. And then they begin to cascade down into specific issues within each industry. Yeah, I guess I should, I should probably qualify my comments a little bit more clearly. Because I agree with you, like if you, right now I'm on the pharmaceutical page and they have identified five core industry challenges sort of like front and center as what that industry is facing right now. And then, like you said, they, they, they have a trends report for each industry that they publish every year that is actually quite nice. I guess what I'm trying to hint at is when you, when you go back up to the top, the, the, the central message is Clarkson's pharmaceutical consultants help our clients develop and activate strategies to address their specific challenges and emerging trends to drive business. Like the, the master message that carries the day for that sector doesn't feel as strong as it could be given everything they have underlying that. They've got those industry challenges and they've got those trends reports. And it's like, I would love to see them just roll that up to like a master point of view that says, okay, in 2023, given these challenges and these trends, our point of view is you should be focused here on these issues. And, and, and it should roll into the master message more, I guess, is all I'm looking for. They've got the the fodder for that. They've got the fodder to build that kind of like umbrella point of view message that isn't there. Now, maybe it's just because it's just too varied and too complicated, right? And I'm, what I'm asking of them is like, oh my God, how in the world do you do that? Every client's a little bit different and you know, rolling together what's most important out of those trends 
and those challenges is really hard to, to, to do in a single statement. Because they have so much quality stuff, I, I wanted more is what I'm trying to say. Now, one thing we talked about in their positioning when one of, in, in, the, in the model for our positioning analysis is how they perform in search and they perform exceptionally well in search based on just my limited interactions. So if, if you're trying to find a firm in any one of these sectors, they, they come up very, very readily amongst tier one and big four firms. So I was impressed with that. Yeah. I, I, I was impressed. I mean, the, the search lexicon we used was somewhat generic and I don't know how they're doing along the, the long tail search, but when a firm this size is showing up above tier ones in, in many of the search results, I was impressed. I, I thought that kudos to the marketing team and the, you know, the web team, thought leadership team for getting that result. I think a lot of firms could benefit from seeing how this firm performs in search. Yeah. And I think to your point, that notion of it cascading down, you know, so if you go into an industry and you go into life sciences and you drill down into contract manufacturing, let's say you pick anything, any sub industry underneath that, they are really consistent and really well architected. Like you said, they've got the trends report, they've got the challenges that like, so they have a, a lot of good search rich content for each one of those sub zones. So if you're like actively searching for a consulting firm, in that way, I, I think they're probably coming up. Now, we didn't do like an in-depth keyword analysis or anything like that. So I don't want to imply that we did a lot more work here than we're suggesting. But yeah, I, I think it, it worked very well. Should we shift to the, the point of view stuff, the intellectual capital? Yeah. We started to yeah. hint that a little bit. Yeah, let's go there. You know, when I, when I was a young marketer, you know, one of the areas I focused on was public relations and got trained in all of that stuff in excruciating detail. But one of the biggest things that they teach you in public relations is a concept called net impression. No matter what you've said in an interview, what you want to come away with is an, a positive net impression. Yeah. And their intellectual capital, I think, nailed a very positive net impression around deep expertise. When you drill into their blog or their industries, I thought a lot of the H1 titles, you know, just the headings that they were using for their various pieces communicated breadth and depth across each of those industries and used, you know, industry nomenclature very effectively. If you were just to do a scan, you'd say, yeah, these people know their yeah. stuff. Now, having said that, when I went into some of those articles, I found myself wanting that a lot of the articles seemed light and fluffy, not substantive given their titles. There was some inconsistency in that, I think, but I was looking for more hard-hitting insights than, than I got. Cool. I didn't walk away with a, wow, I never thought about that like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking about net impression, I agree that it was very positive. Um, and in fact, I would, as you were talking, I wanted to say it felt very professional to me. Everything is very structured and very organized and very, just very buttoned up, I guess is what I'm trying to kind of, is the phrase I'm looking for. And your point, the trends reports, the fact that not only that they, they, they do the trends reports, 
but they do them across the board. It's not like they a trend they drop a trends report for one industry and they ignore the others. They're sort of systematic about saying, well, we're going to do these trends reports. We're going to do them every year, and you can see like a cadence and a structure to that, which I really like. This idea that you know, to your point, the net impression is this is a highly professional firm, highly structured, and that's a positive thing for a client to feel when hiring a consulting firm. I think, right? Absolutely, like nothing's left to chance. Yes. Yes. And, and you know what else really impressed me about this firm was the breadth of thought leaders that it put on display. Yeah. I'm not sure if they have a strategy to build, you know, some big breakthrough thought leaders for the firm around some specific topics. Their CEO published a book and we'll get to that in, in just a moment. That could definitely be one strategy. But when you get into the industries and they present their industry leaders and, and consultants, every one of them, when you look at their profile, has produced case studies and blogs and, and white papers. So you get to see their individual thinking, but it's clear that thought leadership is rewarded in this organization. Yeah. And this is a thought leadership culture. For sure. You don't see this in a lot of firms. Normally, you know, a few thought leaders rise to the top, particularly in firms this size. I, I was just really impressed with the breadth of thought leadership coming out of this firm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and like you said, you would you'd see, or at least I was seeing articles on just a wide range of stuff. You know, you look at, I'm ble bleeding a little bit into solutions design, but if you look at solutions architecture and you roll over their services nav and you look at the breadth of services from data analytics to strategy consulting to SNOP to you know very specific quality and compliance stuff. It's a very wide firm that has a lot of services across a wide function, you know, many functions of an organization. Yet as you delve dove into thought leadership, I never got the sense that any I mean, it could be that I'm sure there are things that are overweighted. There always are. But I didn't get that sense. I didn't get this sense that like, oh, this firm is really heavy over here and not over here, right? Like, oh, we're really strong in people, but I mean, they're not as strong in digital. They, they, they sell it as a service, but it's not showing up. I never got that sense at all uh, when I was trying to interact with the insights and see what was there. I saw big ideas. I saw I saw small ideas, meaning like, you know, very specific inside of it, clearly coming from a practice. Jason, I, I think that's a great point. I think one of the things that this firm has done really well, and I am speculating here, yeah. is they have managed their performance envelope very effectively. And I say that, and this is just my intuition speaking, but my sense is this firm started out as a life science consulting firm. And if you were to, to probe the depths of their thought leadership agenda and capabilities, life science is where they built this business. They moved from that into CPG. And I believe that it, from, you know, just kind of seeing some of the historic stuff online, that the retail industry is a recent addition. Did you see a history describing this somewhere or you're just, no. you're inferring this on based on what you're seeing? I'm inferring this based okay. on, on what I've seen in just what looks like an evolution of their thinking, but what they've done so well is they, you wouldn't get that. There's a balance across the industry representation 
and the solution sets. And that is the key, I think, to managing that performance envelope and expanding that brand. Well, what did you think of the trends pieces? Full disclosure, I never read a full trends piece and and I read like, because what they do is they they leak, like if there's five trends, they'll leak two in a blog post and then you have to go through a form to get the other three. Uh-huh. And so I read a lot of like the first two, but I never downloaded to get the, the third, fourth or fifth. And it sounds like you read some of them in their entirety. What, what was your take on those pieces? Well, I thought the pieces were somewhat generic. I didn't like that I had to download them. I felt like they gated a little too much stuff. And the blogs that introduced them were really cuts and paste from inside the reports. They didn't seem as compelling and cohesive as the reports. But the the reports were were okay. There was one they had interviewed uh, CIOs, and I believe this. And I thought this was this was kind of smart. They clearly had done some market research to inform their marketing efforts, and then flip that out as a position piece. Firms often do that in some form or fashion. But they interviewed CIOs and senior level technology people, and I thought it was good. I didn't think there were a lot of, you know, like I said, big wow stuff in it. And they only had 55 CIOs, which to me showed kind of a weakness. Were those were those qualitative interviews with 55 or was it no, quantitative? quantitative. Okay. And, you it's know, they were breaking That's a lot. down into but, sub-industries and I just felt yeah. like it was too small a sample. So the the research, I think, could have been a little more robust. Yeah. But it provided some insights I think were useful. Yeah, I, you know, my general sense was after interacting with, you know, when I read one of my clients, we like to always use this notion of about and for. When we're looking at something that we're producing or writing, the question we're asking ourselves is, is this about the market or for the market? And when it's about the market, it feels like you're sort of describing what's going on. And when it's for it, it feels like you're inside of it. And I just, a lot of the trends reports to me and some of the things I saw felt more like about. It's like, here's what's going on, but it doesn't necessarily give you a strong point of view on what you should be thinking about or doing that you about those things. It's a bad thing. It's just, that was my net impression was it felt more like, here are the things that are happening in your industry that you should care about. I would like it to see just kind of go like one layer over the hump and then go, okay, now here's what you should do about it. Now, maybe I'm, again, it's not like I spent 20 hours consuming this stuff, you know, so it's, it's quite possible that it's just deeper in the, in the piece that I'm seeing, but based on what you're, what you're telling me, it sounds like you kind of got a similar impression. Yeah. There was definitely a mix of, of approaches to how they articulated their point of view. There was one piece that drew me in because I have a client in the IT space and told them they needed to write this piece several weeks ago and they didn't have the confidence to write it. (laughs) But Clarkston Consulting did and I thought they did an excellent job with it and that was a breakdown of the Southwest Airlines IT disaster. Yeah, I saw that article, yeah. I thought it was well done. It took the risk to wade into those waters and say, hey, here's what happened here's why it happened, here's how it could have been prevented. And regardless if you're playing in that industry or not, and I mean, that's the airline industry, that's not one of their three industries. 
Yeah. But they still weighed in because there were lessons to be learned across these other industries. Yeah. And it was such a visible disaster that I think CIOs have an interest in in doing a postmortem on that. And I also think that that's a great model for thought leadership in general is when you take lessons learned from outside the industry that you're speaking for. I think that's a really great approach to thought leadership. So kudos to them because that, that does speak to building a really compelling point of view. Yeah. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Let's shift gears because I, I, I know I, we have six points here and I want to make sure we try to at least cover all of them. Solutions architecture is, is 20% of the, of the assessment value. It's like the first three things are, are what we see the most about important in going to market. What was your take on this? I think looking at the scores were pretty similar. Why don't you start us off on kind of what you saw there? I thought they were rock solid on this. Yeah. The strength, the fulcrum clearly is the industries. And they do a really good job with that. I think they connect with their core audience and they didn't leave them high level like so many firms do. I thought the specificity and the sub-segments within the industry programs was impressive. Yeah. One that it detailed where in life science do they play? And it wasn't just a bullet point. You could drive down into that subsegment with the same amount of discipline and, and insights at the higher level. And I thought that was really impressive for a firm this size. I thought their solution set was incredibly broad. I can see a cohesive across those solution sets you know, being a strategy consulting firm and that so many of those things are connected, you know, from that strategic perspective. But I found myself doubting the depth and standout expertise a firm of this size could have across that many solution sets. And if I were a buyer, I'd say, mm-hmm, I got to look close at the results they're they're putting up in these. And I really want to scrutinize their thinking because they were broad, but they were presented in a manageable way. Again, I think they did an excellent job of cascading the complexity of those solutions down so that a buyer could could drill down to a depth that was relevant to them. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I, I thought they're to your point, it was really easy to drill down into different industry areas. And, and like you said, incredibly valuable when you got there. You, you, didn't, you didn't feel like you were just getting a page that was just built for surgeons and glory, right? Where it's like, well, we want to come up for cell and gene therapy consulting. So let's build a page for that. And when you get there, there's really nothing to be said. You felt like every page had value. I mean, if a buyer finds themselves on that page, they're getting value out of the page and, and it's giving them a clear understanding of how Clarkston can help them. So I really like that as well. I, same with you. I felt the services felt a little wide and a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, when you roll over the nav on this, this has actually become a, a pretty big trend recently. And, and you can see they've got a mega menu dropdown that, that breaks it into, into different categories. And then off to the left, they've got this thing called featured. 
and it's like featured services. And this has actually become a pretty big trend in web design recently. I struggle with it a little bit because it's it's like, why are those things featured? You know, and some of those things feel really specific. SAPS slash 4HANA consulting services. Like it's crazy specific. So you kind of wonder like, why is that particular thing being selected to be featured? And it sort of threw me for a loop a little bit. I love the structure of what they've put out there, but then I sort of can't understand exactly why certain things are are chosen to be pulled off to the side. But it made me kind of question like, well, and then what does that tell me if I'm a buyer, right? What does that tell me about the nature of this firm if those are the things they choose to feature? I'm not saying it's good or bad. I just, it, it's like, I, I would imagine if I were a buyer, that's what would be in my head when I saw that. I'd say, well, why are they choosing to present me with that? Really, the only negative I had on it was that just at times it just felt a little overwhelming. Like there was just so much. I mean, even if you drill in the services section under the mega menu, in each category, there's like a link for more services because there's like they, they, they don't have enough space to, to address all of them. And so it just makes you feel a little bit overwhelmed. I felt that too. I thought the website, while it was a, a fairly clean design, the way it stacked these big squares made it hard to kind of take in the full breadth of the firm, you know, in one screen view. And there's just lots of, of scrolling and diving. I think some simple tweaks to that could be useful, but I don't know. I assume they have some kind of tool overlaying that and, and seeing how the user experience is. But I just felt like the whole website was just kind of made it hard to, to take in that solution set. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Generally speaking, I, I like the website quite a lot. I think it's I think it's very effective. It's sort of doing all of the fundamental things a site needs to do and it's doing most of them quite well from a pure functional experience, user experience type of standpoint. So maybe a good time to kind of shift into the discussion around personality because I think that's the next layer of that. Where I would be a little critical is it just nothing felt really different to me necessarily. Whether it's when we talk about, you know, the tone of voice of language or the visual look and feel of things. Well, everything is is nice. Like I don't have any, it's not like I'm like, oh my gosh, this this looks bad or this feels bad. It just doesn't feel necessarily independently unique where right away I'm like, oh yeah, if you took the Clarkston logo off this thing and put someone else in there, it would feel foreign because they've got a really distinct visual identity here or a really distinct tone of voice. That did not jump out to me. It's not saying that they don't have the building blocks for that or that it's maybe it's even there and I'm just not seeing it, but that was my impression. It didn't, not, nothing like visually drew me in. I'd agree. If I had to sum up this brand and its approach, I would say it's safe and buttoned up. It's not pushing the envelope. It's conservative. It doesn't want to offend anybody. It's safe and buttoned up. I like that characterization of it. And, and may, maybe to your point, that's exactly what they, you know, well, I shouldn't say maybe, that's clearly probably what they wanted to deliver, right? In, in the sense of you think about who they work with, right? You know, if you're working with a life sciences company, buttoned up is a really good thing for them to feel, you know? I would think. I've never worked in a life sciences company, but that would be how I would expect they to want to feel. So. Yeah. I'd be curious to know who they consider their competitive set. Are they going head to head with the big three? You know, is there a tier two that they're going up against? It's unclear to me. Well, I agree. I actually think that maybe that's 
kudos to them, you know, in a way, because we talked about this earlier, but usually when you see a firm that's pretty diversified in terms of its service offerings, you can kind of also intuit which one of those practices is the real driver. And I really wasn't able to do that here. I didn't have a sense that, oh man, really sales and marketing is driving the, the firm. That practice is driving things or, you know, SAP consulting. So nothing jumped out to me that gave me that indicator. And so maybe that's kudos to them from a marketing perspective that they're sort of telling the broad story of the firm to the best of their ability. And it doesn't make you feel like they're pigeonholed in one way or another, if that makes any sense. Judging by your nod response, either you totally disagree or you totally agree. Not sure which. No, I, I, agree with that. <laughs> I, I agree. I would just like to know from their perspective who they're up against because we don't perform in a vacuum. We perform against competitors and every firm has their core set. And I'd just be curious what their core set is. Yeah. Let's talk about the amplifiers. The firm CEO, Tom Finnegan, wrote a book. I'm not sure when it published. It's called Amplifiers. And I found some of the, the, the language on that page some, to be some of the most interesting stuff about the firm, but it was sort of buried. Like I just sort of stumbled upon it by accident. And when it was talking about the history of the firm and what the firm was about, it drew me in. It's sort of at the bottom of that page. That's what, what I was interested by on it was that it introduced stuff about the firm that I didn't learn from my interactions with the site. And it also started to give me some of that, what I had been hungry for, which is like, what are the benefits of, the, of this firm? So at the very bottom of that page is a section about Clarkston Consulting, where they talk about what they do for clients in terms of what they deliver for clients that I really liked. I wish I could have found that sooner. I wish I could have found that at a higher level of the messaging structure somewhere on the homepage, on an about page, on a services page because it just didn't come to me until I got there. I agree with you on that. It seems like the CEO has a very clear management philosophy that's driven this firm, and, and he's been at the helm for years. And the overarching messaging that comes through the branding is somewhat generic. You know, our people are our greatest asset. But the Amplifier's book, it, at least in, in what I took away from it, seem to go much deeper and talk about, you know, one of my favorite attributes, the concept of stewardship. And in the firm refers to its employees as stewards, which I, I thought was really cool. But this philosophy around leadership and the fact that we don't need to be building just leaders, we need to be building good followers as well is an interesting concept. It's not a new concept, but it's an interesting concept, I think. And it ties to the success of, of Clarkston, but I think also probably to its engagements because that is the fulcrum on which change management happens. And that's got to be a core of a lot of what their strategy work is involved in, is changing the way organizations think act and perform overall. So I thought the the book was kind of a, a killing two birds with one stone, right? One one talking about thought, leadership and change management and the other tying to the employer brand and the management philosophy of the firm. And I would be interested in reading that book. Truly would be welcome to you buying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so but it's clearly selling it yeah. online. 
Which I let's call. go there though. You mentioned employer brand, so let's go there. That's the sixth point in the in the brand breakdown. So let's spend some time talking about that because I agree with you. There's I don't want to discount something that I think we need to. De- you 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 alluded to it earlier, and I'll see if I can find the data about some of their fast facts. So, twenty-one year average of a ninety-seven percent client satisfaction rating. That's, that's impressive. Pretty, yeah, that's, that's impressive. I'm not sure how they're measuring that. Yeah, that number on its face is impressive, and it's led to a seventy percent repeat purchase from those clients. Which, between you and me, I don't find as particularly remarkable. I actually think that's probably the business model of most firms, right? Like, I think that's kind of the business model of consulting, right? So that's I'm like, okay. Why I brought it up was that usually high customer satisfaction ratings are high the high employee satisfaction ratings. So, you know, th- th- those two things are integrally related. Integrally, <laughs> I can't even say it. Are connected. There we go. How's that? So talk to us more about that because I know you, you spent some time on Glassdoor w- with it. So let's talk about that. I think that one of the true measures of an employer brand is the troops perception of the CEO. Do they buy in to the CEO's vision and, and support him? And according to Glassdoor, this organization clearly supports that CEO. The CEO has been in that role for a long time, and he had a 97% approval rating among the employees. So that tells me he's charismatic, that he is a steward and yeah. walks the the talk about you know taking care of your your people. And I wouldn't have to look at any of the individual reviews on Glassdoor if I were considering going to work for a firm like Clarkson. I'd say, I want to meet the CEO. Yeah, that's remarkable. Actually, I think that's more remarkable than the client satisfaction number, to be honest, because I think it's like, you, to some extent, clients can sort of come and go. They can hire you for a project. They can see a snippet of your firm and its culture and its services and its expertise and then disappear, but not your people. People are there. They see all the good, all the bad. They see everything. And that to me is, that is an unbelievable number, unbelievable percentage. Yeah. It begs the question, in my mind, what's the succession plan? Is this firm built on a, on a cult of personality? And if the CEO leaves, you know, does the firm take a dip? Or has he truly developed the next generation of, of leaders? I suspect he has. But that would, that would be one of the areas I would probe is what's the next generation of this firm look like? Yeah. You know, I, and I, I, wanna, I do on that amplifiers page, I want to read one segment before we wrap, because I do think it speaks to the, the, what we just talked about. You alluded to it, but I want people to hear it. You know, it says in 1991, a small group of big few consultants had a vision of creating a different kind of consulting company, one that focuses on the success of its clients while encouraging the personal growth of its stewards. I don't want to claim that that's like, magical language that's so unique that no consulting firm's ever said that, because actually I think you hear that a lot. My point in sharing it is that from the start, it was a focused on two things at once, doing good by clients, doing good by people. And here we are, what, 30 years on? And it sure looks like they're delivering on that promise because you're seeing those satisfaction rates on both sides, both dimensions. So I guess I thought it was a good place to close because it's sort of like, kudos to the firm for what they've done to get to this moment to enable that vision of what they wanted to be real and not just words on a page at a found a founding document or something you know or, a, well, or someone's proclamation when they start a firm and then they go sideways 
I've said it before, I'll say it again. At the heart of our strategy model is culture. And if it's broken, the firm is broken. And this firm looks like it has a strong foundation on which to operate. All right. Should we report out the scores on this one? Yeah. Go ahead. All and right. Let's give a quick summary. I'll report the scores. You give the summary. I'll take the easy job of those two. So well, the scores were, were, were much better than the first firm we did. I scored them at a 60. You scored them at a 56. So I think the question might be is, you know, based on everything we, we talked about, you know, where are their best opportunities to improve? Because it sounds like we both think that there's opportunities for improvement while they are doing lots of stuff really, really well. Yeah. So I think the positioning is good because it clearly builds on an industry program. As they extend into more industries, I think there's going to need, and, and even today, I think there could be a stronger overarching value proposition that's yep. not so generic. But I won't hold that against the firm because the firm is is reaching that point in its growth and complexity where that becomes more difficult. And they do an excellent job of articulating a value proposition at the industry levels. Yeah, their industry program is exceptional. I think we should just be clear on that. It, it's, it's among as good as I've seen um, in terms of how uh, how focused they are down those industries. So, and it seems to me like, you know, their biggest opportunities for improvement are still in the thought leadership zone. I think that's definitely a piece of it. We talked a lot about that, building out maybe bigger points of view in some areas, perhaps. I think was maybe the takeaway. Riskier, stronger, Riskier. more cutting edge. I think they could benefit from that. Just Just taking some more risk. It seems like it's there. They they do wade into some things. And and I would just go a little deeper and a little stronger on some of these things. And that may be an unfair assessment because we didn't we didn't do, you know, a full content inventory of, of the firm. Sure. And we did see little sparks, but I just didn't see one piece that made me go, Wow, that changed my thinking. Well, one one comment I had on that is that we, we did this in February and they released their industry trend their yearly industry trends in that sort of January time zone. So that's where the big push is right now. Uh-huh. I, I I as I was doing this, I often wondered if we had done this in September, would we have a different take? Because you know, you get to mid year, your trends for the year are a little bit in the background and now you're focused on, you know, your point of view of what's going on right now. And I wonder if we'd have a different take if we if we happen to catch this at a different point in time. Because obviously we spent most time with the stuff that was most recent. So yeah, and it goes back to what we the comment we made about Maveri that their website didn't seem to have up to date stuff, and it made us wonder: is yeah. the firm still in business? So it it's important to keep updating that stuff. I have to admit real quick, I was pretty impressed with their ability to get those trends reports out across so many different sectors relatively timely, all within a very tight window. That's not easy to do. I mean, that takes a, a very uh, planned, coordinated content effort from a really, really strong marketing unit to bring that to life. So I want to give that marketing unit kudos for pulling that off because usually those things kind of bleed out. You get one or two out and then there's like one will drop in September because you can't get it done for whatever reason, right? And it looks like they, they pretty much are nailing that. That's phenomenal. Again, I think that's that reflects that thought leadership is rewarded in this firm. Which it, means, yeah, to your point, the subject matter experts are giving their time and attention to the, the content and marketing people the way they need to. Yes. So that they can do their work as well as they do. So yeah. 
All right. I think this is a wrap, unless you've got a final closing comment. I'd encourage people to go out and take a look at this website. It is an excellent example of how to deliver a message in a cohesive breath and depth. I was impressed. Yeah, I was as well. It's ClarkstonConsulting.com, C-L-A-R-K-S-T-O-N, Consulting.com. All right. Until next time. See you, buddy. See you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, oh.